It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. Oh, oh, no, it's actually, uh, <clears throat> it's April 15th, everybody, I hope your taxes is done. Uh, I, I guess we get till Tuesday this year, so, uh, I think. Um, if it's not Tuesday, don't blame me, okay? Uh, good morning, church. It's good to be with you. It's really good to be with you. I'm having fun with this series, A Great Reversal. Uh, oftentimes, it's interesting to me that as we dive into the Word, uh, there are these, these shifts. They're, they're, they're really cataclysmic sort of shifts. Um, it's where uh, these times in which Jesus just turns the world on its head. And if we were sitting there listening to Jesus or having a conversation, we would find that, uh, that Jesus uh, turns our focus all the way around. And before we end, we're, 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 we're shocked at what he's saying. Over and over again in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus is found doing this. Uh, that's why we're calling this series that we're in Great Reversal, because uh, Jesus, uh, throughout the Gospel of Luke, just continues to, uh, to turn things around, to, to take the rug from underneath our feet and, and just pull it out regularly. And this morning, uh, there's this passage of Scripture that, uh, that this is this kind of reversal, this kind of a refocus, this kind of shift from Jesus in regards to what it means to be a neighbor. I mean, wh what does it mean to be a good neighbor? What do good neighbors do? Well, Jesus is in this conversation uh, and it was, it was common in his day where, uh, where teachers would come and, and they would ask each other questions to kind of test each other out, right? Uh, I mean, in a basketball or a football game, it's two teams kind of feeling each other out. And, and oftentimes what would happen is, is one teacher would come to another teacher and ask him a really hard question. Uh, they would try and ask him the hardest question they could possibly imagine. And so uh, in order to test Jesus, there's a guy that comes up to Jesus and asks him this really hard question. And they end up in this dialogue. And it, and it happens that Jesus is a better teacher than this other guy, which probably doesn't shock us. But then Jesus tells a story he tells a story that does shock us. Uh, he tells a story uh, that really turns the world on its head and, and gives us an idea, gives us an answer to the question of what does it mean to be a good neighbor? What do good neighbors do? What are the characteristics and the qualities of a good neighbor? And who Jesus points to is is nothing less than shocking. So this morning, what we're going to find is that there's certain things that good neighbors give and there's certain things that good neighbors receive. Uh, there's certain things that good neighbors do for others and there's certain things that good neighbors will allow for themselves. Turn with me, if you will, to, to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. 
If you don't have a Bible, please go ahead, reach out, grab one, page 725 in those pew Bibles in front of you. I'll give you more than enough time to find where that is. If you need a cell phone, you can download an app, Luke 10. Luke 10, 25. Your Bible probably says something like the parable of the Good Samaritan. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? That's the question, isn't it? What is written in the, in the law? How do you read it? He answered, I got this one. It's one of those questions on the test like, I know how to answer this one. No question. The law hung on these two things. He says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength, with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. At this point in the story, he's fist pumping, okay? He's like, yeah, take that. I got it. Verse 28. You've answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? In replying, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going by down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite. And when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, took pity on him. And he went to him. And he bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two demerai and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said. And when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Now, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law isn't quite so confident anymore. There is no more fist pumping at this point. 
Maybe his head is bowed and he mumbles to himself, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. What we find in this extraordinary story of reversal uh, what Christians find for themselves in regards to, to what does it mean to be a good neighbor? What do good neighbors do? They don't kick over microphones from the stage. Sorry about that. What we find is that good neighbors will give. And what they will give is they will give love beyond boundary. That good neighbors will love beyond the limits. That good neighbors will look past all of the differences that they may have in order to love one another. Uh, it's one of those things, uh, uh, Jesus begins to, uh, to engage in this conversation uh, with this guy, and, uh, and he asks him, hey, how, how do you read the law? And he answers correctly, love God and love people. And one of the ways, one of the ways that we uh, as Christians go about following God, about loving God, is actually loving other people. Do you notice who the hero of the story is? If you, if you miss who the hero of the story is uh, that Jesus tells to this man, then, then you miss the parable. You miss the uh, shock. You miss the reversal. You see, Jesus is in the habit of taking things and turning them around, of pulling the rug out from underneath of us, of shocking us. Do you, do you recognize who the hero of the story is? There's this guy, and he goes, and he gets beat up, and he's laid half dead on the side of the road, and there's these two guys that, that all of us would expect to show up and to help this guy out, right? I mean, uh, when we're at the scene of a car accident and you happen to be a doctor or an EMT or a nurse, you, you rush in, don't you? I mean, you go in because that's your job. You, you expect firemen to, to go into the fire, don't we? I mean, you expect policemen to, to go into the line of fire. You, you expect that the priest and the Levite, the pastor, the teacher, the Sunday school person... You expect them to show up and to, to help this person out. That's what we expect. That's exactly what should happen. But the text says so clearly, they saw and they decided that they were going to go over there. And the text, the text doesn't tell us. The text doesn't tell us exactly what what was going on in their head. Maybe it was because they were heading to the temple and they didn't want to become unclean. Uh, and if they touched this guy and tried to help him, then they would be unclean and they wouldn't be able to go to the temple. And, and so they just decide that they're going to ignore him. That's what we would expect. We would expect that they would go and help regardless. But it's the Samaritan. Now, I've never met a Samaritan. 
sort of. But Samaritans were the enemy. Do you get that? The Samaritan was the enemy. Like for 700 years, uh, the Jews and the Samaritans had been at each other's throats. Has anybody read Romeo and Juliet, right? The, the two families were feuding with one another, and, and this is a forbidden love, right? Uh, the same thing is true here with the Jews and the Samaritans. You, you don't... You don't talk to, uh, you don't interact with, uh, you don't associate with Samaritans. They are the enemy. If you had to take a trek, you took the three days around Samaria. You didn't go into Samaria because uh, you didn't want to be unclean. That's just not what you did. So you avoid Samaritans at all costs. And yet here, Jesus is saying, I want you to see what this guy does. And he makes a hero out of the villain. And he says, do you notice what he does? He goes. He comes over. And and there's this, this little detail in the text. I don't know if you caught it. He, he says he puts oil and vinegar. Well, the idea in the ancient world was uh, if you wanted to help someone, uh, help them uh, you know, bandage their wounds and stop the bleeding, uh, it was kind of like the medicine of the ancient world. So he takes some vinegar. He's not making a salad, okay? That was supposed to be way funnier. He, he, he takes oil and vinegar and he wraps it up in order to try and stop any bleeding that might be taking place. This was, this was kind of an ancient way of saying, hey, I'm, I'm going to try and care for you to, to, to get you to the next stop so someone can really take care of you. Here's the point. There is no boundary for him. There is no boundary. He erects no boundary. There, uh, there is nothing that kept him uh, from going to this half-dead guy on the side of the road. He just simply loves him. Not only does he love him then, he takes him to the inn. He, he spares no expense to make sure that his neighbor is loved. Did you catch the question? Did you catch the question that the guy asks Jesus because he wants to justify himself? Who is my neighbor? Church, who are you defining as your neighbor? You see, he's created a category of people that he thinks of as his neighbor and another group of people and a category that he's saying, they're not my neighbor. Are there people that you have created artificial boundaries to that you're saying, I will love them, but I don't have to love them? Are there a group of people that you have artificially said, I don't need to Love them the way God loved me. 
maybe it's a person because of their sexual preference and it's hard for you to have conversations with them because you disagree so much about their own lifestyle and you, you, you just have such a hard time. You're like, I can't love them. And yet this story from the lips of Jesus is really saying, if you want to be a good neighbor, then you will give love beyond the limit. Give love beyond any boundary. Is it a person who has a, a, an opposite political conviction than you do, and they are loud and proud about it? And you think, I just can't stand this anymore. Unf- I'm going to unfriend them. I just can't take it anymore. I'm tired of hearing about it. Will you go over and love that neighbor? Oh, I'm sure we could probably come up with a lot, couldn't we? There's that annoying person and you're already thinking of them. Maybe as a person in your home Maybe it's the person that you, you share a bed with. And they are your closest neighbor. And they are, they are at this very moment a person that you think of as your enemy. And Jesus is saying, hey, you, you want to be a good neighbor? Then do what good neighbors do. Good neighbors will give love beyond limit, give love beyond boundary, regardless of the difference. Regardless of the difference of lifestyle or ideals, that good neighbors give love beyond limit. And the shift is that the Samaritan was the hero. So what is it that good neighbors will receive? Uh, Some of us are really good at giving. Uh, Some of us are really good at that first part of of being a good neighbor, of giving love beyond limit. Uh, We find that uh, there's no person that we couldn't love, uh, no person that we have a difference with uh, of opinion that we can't love and that God has gifted you, and you just have this ability to go and talk with them and have that conversation and love them consistently. But it's sometimes those folks that have a hard time receiving. You see, I think that part of this story is not just from the perspective of the Samaritan who goes and helps, but the perspective of the one who's lying in the ditch waiting for someone to come and help them. Do you realize, gang, that Christianity is really built around this idea that we need to be willing to receive the grace that sometimes comes our way? How many of you, you could say of yourself, man, I'm so willing to give, but but, uh, you're maybe a little proud when it comes to receiving 
Uh, someone comes to give you charity and says, uh, hey, I want you to have this. I want you to receive this. And, and we kind of uh, push them away, shirk, shirk them off, you know, say, ah, no, it's okay. I, I don't really need anything. We all need things. And if you are unwilling to accept and receive grace, you're unwilling to accept and receive what Jesus has to offer to you. All of us need charity. And the man, I know he's just lying there, but he's willing to receive from this Samaritan. What if the case were that, that you had your enemy come and try and help you? What if the shoe were on the other foot? Oh, you know you're supposed to give to them, but would you be willing to receive the charity and the grace that someone else was willing to give you? Would you accept the grace and the love of someone who, who maybe is a different ethnicity than you, that maybe thinks religiously very different than you, that thinks politically or in their entire life philosophy, thinks entirely different than you, and yet there you are in desperate need. Would you, would you be willing to receive There's two things that good neighbors do. One is that they give. They give love beyond limit. The other is that they're willing to receive the charity and the grace of others. Uh, so church, can I challenge you this morning with just these two things? Uh, one is, will you think of one person, one neighbor that you can love where you live? Can you think of one neighbor? Uh, some of you, I know, are living in communities that are way out in the, in the country, and you're thinking, I, I don't have any close neighbors. Uh, would you find one? Find a neighbor and live out this commission from Jesus uh, to love beyond the boundary. And would you be a good neighbor by giving would you say, I'm, I'm not going to allow anything to get in the way? One person. Adults, maybe this is a person at your workplace. Uh, maybe it is that person that lives in the house next to yours. Maybe it's a person in your home. Students, maybe it's that person that really annoys you. And they constantly bug you. And, and you go to the cafeteria and you sit down and they just make a point to try and be your enemy. And I wonder if you, if you could, because Christ lives with you, love them. And I wonder, on the other side of this church, if you would be willing to, to say, I'm going to accept the help of others. I'm not going to be so prideful anymore that, uh, that I'm not beyond receiving grace. And that when I need help, I'm, I'm, not, 
I'm not going to be above asking for it. I'm not going to be above receiving the grace that comes my way, regardless of who brings it. That if the Samaritan in my life comes and brings it to me who thinks so differently from me in every way, if they come and they offer, uh, I'm going to be willing to accept it. And perhaps, perhaps God will use that conversation to bring about some great thing. My conviction is that Jesus is consistently reversing things. He's consistently taking things and lives and he's turning them around in magnificent ways. And he's challenging us to be good neighbors. He's challenging us to give and he's challenging us to receive. Will you pray with me? Lord, I thank you so much for who you are and all that you do. And I just pray, Lord, that we would do, we would be, we would go. And Lord, we would be great neighbors. And we would be great neighbors by our willingness to give and our willingness to receive. Lord, I thank you for your goodness. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.